Proposed federal rules for protecting cybersecurity in the communications supply chain, well, not everyone in the industry is happy with them. One group calls the proposed rule fundamentally flawed. And for more, we turn to the Senior Vice President of Policy at the Technology Trade Association, ITI, John Miller. Mr. Miller, good to have you on. Thanks very much. I'm glad that you mentioned the uh, supply chain executive order and the subsequent rulemaking. Just to kind of level set on what that is, this traces back to a May 15, 2019 executive order on securing the information and communications technology and services supply chain. Uh, And just this past November or December, the Commerce Department issued a notice of proposed rulemaking on how to implement that executive order. I guess at the top line, one of the things that is most concerning about the rulemaking itself is that is really the broad scope because as written, it potentially captures all information and communications, technology and services transactions between a U.S. company and a company with a nexus to any foreign country. Yeah, tell us what specifically it would impose on your member companies. I think it's fair to say that there's a lot of ambiguity in exactly what it would impose on the companies because as written, it is, you know, as well as being extremely broad, it is somewhat vague as to how it would actually implement it. And I'll just just give you an example. Uh, You know, our, our companies are all global companies doing business all over the world. And if we look at the executive order as kind of establishing a funnel, it is the broadest possible funnel as the rulemaking currently exists because it, it, it does literally capture every potential transaction that involves our companies if there is any nexus to, to a foreign country. It's actually worth noting that this is even broader than the executive order itself, which of course requires there to be both one, a designated foreign adversary being involved in the transaction, and number two, there being some type of identifiable national security risk or risk to critical infrastructure security. And so one of the questions is, who are the specific foreign adversaries? The executive order itself tees up the potential for either countries or persons or entities to to be designated as foreign adversaries. And, uh, you know, depending on how those designations are arrived at, it could clearly have different um, and varying implications for companies doing business in the global economy and, and with global supply chains. In our comments on the rulemaking, we did suggest that the Commerce Department uh, number one, establish a set of criteria to define you know, how foreign adversaries will be designated and to focus on entities or persons as opposed to entire countries as that sort of approach is actually more consistent with the overarching tenor of the rule, which is to look at transactions on a fact-specific, risk-based, technology-neutral, and country-agnostic approach. I will also say one of the issues with the rulemaking, and this goes back to your initial question, is that there isn't any indication of which direction the Commerce Department will go in designating foreign adversaries. And if we think about, again, if we think about this entire process as a funnel, one of the, the easiest ways to narrow that funnel would be to designate foreign adversaries on the front end so companies would know which transactions they needed to be concerned about and which they frankly didn't. We're speaking with John Miller, Senior Vice President of Policy and Senior Counsel at the Information Technology Industry Council, the ITI. And there's a couple of questions that come up. First of all, in the case of transactions, isn't there a technological criterion there also? Because if you are doing business with, say, China, just to 
bring them up, the big whale here in the room, and you are buying a really high-end type of network switch for a client, that's one thing. But if you're buying 10,000 feet of copper cabling as part of a deal from China, that's sort of a horse of a different color. I think it's fair to say, and I mentioned the kind of fact-specific approach, if we're taking a risk-based approach, and that's something that we at ITI support, you know, it's really important not only to look at risks that are related, for instance, to certain technology partners with whom companies are conducting transactions, but whether or not the technology products or services themselves rise to the level of something that might create that sort of national security risk that the executive order is trying to get at. So yeah, you're right. You know, all, all ICTS, uh, if you will, information and communication technology and services is not created equal in that regard. And, and it is very well the case that there are some transactions that no matter who the parties are, they just may not rise to the level of, of concern that the, the executive order is trying to address. And from a simple rulemaking standpoint, reading your comments, and there's 16 pages of them, you are frequently referring to the vagueness of it or undefined terms. And it's pretty hard to comment with facts if you don't know what precisely they're talking about. So it sounds like you're objecting to the rulemaking, I guess, methodology or approach itself before you can even respond to what it is they would like to do here with the rule. Well, thanks. Uh, I mean, well, in terms of the approach, uh, and, and, and just to be clear, um, you know, we, we at ITI and, and the tech sector broadly take, takes very seriously the, the national security risks that the, that the government is trying to get at with the both the executive order and the rulemaking, you know, I think from from our perspective, we support support those those goals because, and, and particularly as they relate to a, a supply chain um, and, and a global, secure global supply chain, because we we consider that as as absolutely essential to advancing national security. At the same time, U.S. Com- technological competitiveness and and leadership is also a part of that equation. So when we look at, at, at a rule that, uh, you know, from an approach standpoint, there is a lot to commend, I think, the Commerce Department on. I, I mentioned a few different times that the fact-specific risk-based technology-neutral approach, I think that, that aligns well with, you know, basic risk management principles that companies have advocated for a long time. But the vagueness comes in, and you might even consider this, a lot of these concerns along the lines of of due process concerns. The vagueness comes in because many of the terms are not defined. And as I said, the funnel is extremely wide as the rule has been written. So from a company standpoint, it's just very difficult to even go about figuring out how to comply if you don't know which transactions may or may not be subject to review. So I think that is where the questions arise, and that's why we're doing all we can to help narrow and focus the rule, um, you know, both through our comments and working with the Commerce Department and other U.S. government stakeholders. And a final question, this might be obvious, but you mentioned that your members are tend to be global companies, and as these big telecom manufacturers are, they are global. And I haven't seen anything in the rule specifically, maybe I overlooked it, that says that they're talking about transactions for installations and sales that happen in the United States. So it could be, what if one of the member companies, say, is headquartered here, but is doing a job for Switzerland somewhere? And would the rule apply to what you do overseas that have nothing to do with the United States? 
I think that's a fair question. It, it does, uh, the, the rule itself, uh, well, in the executive order, it does deal with any transactions that, you know, have, you know, essentially involve a, a U.S. company and who, who's doing business uh, with a foreign company. Those transactions, of course, you would think should have a, a nexus to the U.S. and to U.S. jurisdiction. Um, it's candidly not entirely clear, even in that regard, where the, the, the lines begin and end with the uh, executive order as, it, as it's currently written. And, and that's one of the reasons why we do think that the scope needs to be focused uh, specifically on addressing those national security objectives that are underlying the rule. Because as, as you suggest, if there's a you know, if there's a transaction that is occurring and, and that really is only, uh, you know, dealing with 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 property uh, in in a place like Switzerland, um, w what is the tangible nexus to a national security risk in such a transaction? And and it's a good example of the type of thing that needs to be clarified as rulemaking progresses. Any response yet from Commerce? The Commerce Department is doing the best job that they can with what was to, to implement uh, what was, you know, itself a very broad and broadly scoped executive order. The Commerce Department, you know, traditionally has a, has a very good working relationship with, with industry. You know, in fact, that's one of their, their, their main tasks is, is to pr protect and, and promote U.S. commercial interests. And, and they have, uh, you know, been open to, to working with us and uh, expect that they will continue to be so uh, as the rulemaking, uh, you know, the next iteration of the rulemaking progresses. John Miller is Senior Vice President of Policy and Senior Counsel at the Information Technology Industry Council. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information and the Council's comments at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.